It's one thing to go back to a film that was set in the distant past, but what if you go back to a film that takes place in the future? And what if that film was considered the best special effects, artistic direction, and sound design of its time? When you watch it 20 years later, does it still hold up? That is what my friend Stephen and I will try to answer in this week's episode. We go back in to The Matrix. Welcome back to Retrospective Reviews. Welcome back to Retrospective Reviews. Today, I have someone who's been on the podcast before, my friend Stephen, who has agreed to join me on this as we go back in time. We go back to the year 1999. Stephen, you chose this film. That's one of the things with retrospectives. Um, it's a film we both have to agree that we haven't watched in a long time. And I had not watched this, I would say, probably in the 10 to 15 year mark. When was the last time you watched this? I think it worked out to be about 15 years or so, somewhere in that range as well. Um, I know that I haven't seen it since my daughter was born and she's now 11. So it's it's been a while. Though, oddly enough, while I was trying to figure out when I'd last seen this movie, I kept remembering that I'd seen the second movie like multiple times and more recently, because that was always the one that was on TV. If you yeah. were sitting down and just turned on AMC or, you know, a movie channel, it was okay. always number two that was showing. <laughs> oh, okay. That's kind of cool. Um, we'll come back to that because there is something about say, the that, second one. That, that went off on a tangent. Sorry. No, <laughs> no, it's perfectly fine. We are definitely not going to go on any tangents during this entire thing. <laughs> so, 22 years ago, the year is 1999. What do yes. you remember about 1999? Where were you um, in 1999? That was one of the first things I tried to figure out was when did I actually watch this movie? Because 1999, spring of 1999, uh, would have been the, the second part of my freshman year of college. Um, but I did not see this while at college. I, I saw it with my friends, I'm assuming over spring break, when I went back home to visit. It came out March 31st, nationwide, 1999, and I, I definitely didn't see it then. Um, no. But I saw it I saw it probably either in 1999, or I'm going to guess probably 2000 is probably when I actually saw it, or 2001, whenever it came out on DVD, right? Okay, I was going to ask, did you manage to see it in the theaters, or did you wait until it came out later? I don't have a recollection that I saw it in the theater when I thought okay. back because 1999 is also the year I had a child. Um, ah, very good. Yeah. So I think I was distracted. Um, so I didn't go to the movies much that year. <laughs> but, but we still haven't said what this is. So we are doing a retrospective review of the 1999 massive, massive hit. The Matrix. And it just so yes. happens that we're doing this review this very month on December 22nd. The fourth installment of The Matrix is coming out. So it's kind of accidentally you chose like the perfect thing. If I can get this out before December 22nd, then it'll look like so, I'm totally hip and with the times. <laughs> Say accidental? You mean I didn't do this on purpose? You absolutely did this on purpose. Yes. Okay, so we have both agreed we have not watched this in minimum 10 years. Yes. Yeah. We both watched it then. What do you remember about it then? So thinking back to the, the, sort of the, the first exposure to it, 
uh, again, back uh, early college uh, years, the the things that I remember, I remember just being completely, uh, I guess, blown away is sort of the, the best way of describing it, because the special effects at the time were like nothing I had ever seen before. The the premise of the story was like nothing I had ever seen before. Um, this movie just had uh, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie was just completely groundbreaking for me in many different ways. Um, yeah. And uh, I know I'm not the only one who thought so because it is you know. This was one of the, I think, the one of the top grossing ones of that particular year. I think it was fifth, fourth or fifth, fifth of that year. But to be fair, The Phantom Menace came out that year. The Phantom Menace beat this? Yeah, I again. know. Like, by a lot. But that's because, you know, you just put Star Wars on something and it makes a ton of money. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was, this was the year. I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to put it in context and see Excellent. what you remember of this since you were a freshman. Okay. Are you yes. ready? 1999 yep. was the year of The Phantom Menace, The Sixth Sense, which came out that summer. And I did go see that in theaters. Okay. Toy Story 2, The Mummy, okay. starring Brendan Fraser. Brendan Fraser, the good one. The yes, good one, good. right? Sorry, Tom. Not the good one. Um, <laughs> American Beauty, before we, you know. Really? Yes. Notting Hill. Ten wow. Things I Hate About You. This the, was a good year for movies. I'm not done. The Green Mile. Cider House Rules. Boys Don't Cry, Being John Malkovich, um, <laughs> The Talented Mr. Ripley, Lock, Stock, really? Two Smoking Barrels, Oh wow! Run, Lola, Run, which was probably like the first German film I ever remember watching. Okay. Um, and, and we'll come back to this movie because this movie is important, Wild yeah. Wild West. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, Wow. <laughs> These were seen, the top movies. I have seen so many of the ones that you just listed. I have seen all of the ones I have I just listed. I have seen all of these movies. I have memories of most of these movies. Actually, one, one I have not seen. To this day, I still haven't th- seen 10 Things I Hate About You. <laughs> just ha- never got around to it. So I, I, I didn't see that one either. Well, um, we, we were the wrong age group for that. Yeah. <laughs> like, by that point, it was too late for us. Written and directed by Lena and Lily Wachowski. Mm-hmm. This was their second directing film credit. Yes. Which blows my mind. <laughs> but here's interesting, and I have a personal connection to this story, I've realized. Okay. In 1994, now we have to go back a couple of years. Okay, In 1994, they pitched a film called Assassins. If you don't recall that movie, it stars Sylvester Stallone and Antonio Banderas. That's right. As two, like, assassins who end up hunting each other. Uh, Julianne Moore was in that movie. I would like you to know that I have no recollection that Julianne Moore was even in that movie. Um, (laughs) It was released in 1995. So they they pitched this movie to Warner Brothers. Okay. Mm -hmm. How do I know this movie? Because I actually auditioned to be an extra in this movie. Oh, awesome. Awesome. So they filmed a portion of this movie in Puerto Rico, where I grew up. Yeah. And my mother and I, I was in high school, my mother and I went to audition. But here's the thing. 
After watching the film and seeing the scenes that they shot in Puerto Rico, my mother and I were definitely too light-skinned to be in this movie. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. We were just, yeah. I was not Puerto Rican enough. You'd have thrown off the white balance. That is so <laughs> accurate and horrible. It's true. I was Puerto Rican. I was 100% Puerto Rican. And I wasn't Puerto Rican enough to be in this damn movie. Um, so anyway, so they pitched Assassins, which Warner Brothers loved. And what Warner mm. Brothers did was they said, okay, let's do this. We're going to give you a three-picture deal. Kind of like old-timey, you know. Um, yep. Hang on. So my wife is texting me from the living room that she was ah. 12. She was 12 when all these movies happened. And I don't like that. So we're going to ignore <laughs> this text that I just got from her. The Wachowskis, they propose Assassins, which they wrote. They bring in another writer, Brian Helgeland, who apparently rewrote, like, the entire script. He okay. rewrote the entire script of Assassins so much that the Wachowskis asked to be removed, like their names be removed from the script because it was no longer their script. Okay. That experience led them to think, you know what? We need to direct. Like, we need to be in control. Uh, Richard Donner actually directed that movie. So, um, he directs Assassins. They write Assassins and then gets completely rewritten. They get three-picture deal for Assassins, Bound. If you don't remember, Bound starred Jennifer Tilly and Gina Gershon. Was kind of an interesting kind of sort of film noir. And it was like one of the first movies that had like lesbian characters, but the movie wasn't about them being lesbians. Right. It was a big deal when I was in college. Um... People made me watch it. And, I mean, it was fine. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I'm not saying it was a bad film, folks. I'm just saying it wasn't something I was totally into. But, you know, I had to be cool, like all the cool, smart kids. So I had to go watch it. Um, so they did Bound, and they directed Bound. And that movie got some, like, critical acclaim. It didn't make a lot of money, but it, it, it got enough accolades that it gave them the strength to argue that The Matrix, which was the third movie, Mm -hmm. it gave them enough to tell Warner Brothers, hey, let us direct. We can direct this. We know what we're doing. Supposedly, like, Warner Brothers started, like, giving them a $10 million budget. This is what I read, and, and please forgive me, there is so much data on this film yes, that so there's yeah. no way we're going to cover it tonight. But supposedly, they took a bunch of the money that they gave them. They filmed the first sequence with the scene with Trinity going up into the air. Mm-hmm. And then they used that to take it back to Warner Brothers and said, and say, give us more money. Please give us more. This is we the sort need, of thing like, we can do. <laughs> five times more money than this, um, which they got. They got a total of $63 million to make this movie. Nice. This is their second directing film. Blows my mind. Okay. So anyway, um, so they make this, they, they decide that they're going to make this movie. And we're going to get into the details of it. Um, they studied John Woo. They studied Hong Kong action filmmakers. They wanted to incorporate martial arts um, into the movie. They wanted to incorporate philosophy and computers and the future and all of this. It was almost like action movie, sci-fi movie, high concept, philosophical movie all wrapped into one. It's a lot. 
I mean, when you really think about it, you're like, wow, this is, I mean, they, they were heavy handed with it in the middle of this action movie. It's, it's pretty intense. Um, and there's, there's just a lot of philosophy, but going back to it. Okay. I was terrified of rewatching this movie. Why? Because I was afraid. <clears throat> I was genuinely afraid this movie was going to not look good. 22 years later was going to look dated you know, it's it's got sci-fi, it's got action, it has all kinds of what was at the time really modern sequences. And I was like, God, is this going to look terrible when I watch this? I had the same trepidation that you did. The back of my mind was going, how well has this aged? Which is great, which is exactly why we're doing this, right? Yes. It's us looking at it. And I mean, this is a big one. This is 22 years worth of an advancement in film action sequences, CGI, you name it. I was afraid when you said, let's do The Matrix. I was like, ooh, this is going to be one of those movies that's just, it's going to be like, yes, this was amazing and breathtaking at the time, but now it's absolutely atrocious. And I will say, jumping ahead, I was completely wrong. I don't know what your reaction was, but my initial impression of this movie is, oh my God, how is this movie still so good so much later? You have basically hit the nail on the head at the end of the end of the film. Once the credits started rolling, my thought was, oh, my God, that is still as amazing as the day I first saw it. It has not aged horribly at all. Now, my, my big concern was going to be some of the computer graphics that they used. Absolutely. And I will be darned if I could find anything bad to say about any of it. It was it, it it's. It's as if it hasn't aged. It's It's been sealed away and has, has not changed a bit. It's still every bit as good as it was now. No, try it again. It's still as every bit as good as it was now. It's still darn good. <laughs> okay, here was my reaction. Are you ready for my reaction? This episode's going to suck. I didn't have anything really negative to say about this film. It's like, like, I was what, like, what could we criticize? Right. Um. <laughs> it was like, uh, oh, you were groundbreaking then and you still somehow have stood the test of time 22 years later and is still an insanely beautifully made, beautifully designed, well-constructed film. Yes. How annoying. That does not make for good content. <laughs> like, our episode should be five minutes long and you and I yeah. both go, um... Yeah, it's here's, just as good as 1999, if not better. Thanks yeah, for listening. De def definitely go and rewatch it. One thing I, f I, I did find about this movie, and, and let me know if, if it happened to you, I remembered it. Like, when the movie, the music of the movie began, when mm -hmm. you start seeing the intro in green, like mm -hmm. something in the back of my brain released the file that the connection to this movie was that I hadn't thought about for years. And the, the jump and she freezes in midair and we rotate around and then the kick lands. Oh, and I thought, okay, those scenes are not going to be as good anymore. And I mean, sure, there are more modern versions of that now, yes. right? You could yeah. say it's a little aged, but it's still good. To, to some degree, I think you have to keep in mind that this was, uh, to the best of my knowledge, the first movie that did that sort of thing. Yes. So, yes, other people have done it perhaps a little better since then, but th this was the first one. This was kind of, this is what introduced it. You know, take that into account, and th the first action sequence with Trinity is 
just still jaw dropping. And I agree with you that once we got the green Warner Brothers logo, like you, I started to realize, oh no, I, I have seen this before. But I also found that there were a good number of scenes that I had forgotten, or you know, a good number that, oh, I remember that there is this scene, but I don't remember any of the details around it. And again, that's just because of, you know, the, the ravages of time on the human brain. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, the, the other thing that I found myself doing, and I'm curious to know if you had the same experience, was you began to, I started noticing details that I would not have picked up on 22 years ago when it first came out. And the, the, the very first note I had was just a, a little thought I had regarding the, the phone conversation that you hear. It's the very first bit of dialogue that occurs in the film. And in hindsight, you realize that it's Trinity talking to Cypher. And that's probably why that line is bugged. Watching now and seeing that, I suddenly feel quite smart having put those two pieces of the puzzle together. 22 years ago, no, you, you wouldn't have noticed that. You wouldn't have thought of it. There were three moments that were absolutely terrifying to me 22 years ago that I recognize are still terrifying to me now. Okay, I, I think I know one of them. I'm curious to know what the other two are. Neo, a.k.a. Thomas Anderson, Mr. Anderson. This movie was my introduction to Hugo Weaving, mm -hmm. and his delivery of that line is just mm, chef's kiss. Mwah. Who actually created the style of speech for Agent Smith off of the Wachowskis themselves. Really? Because, yep, they have a very odd speech pattern. Okay. And he wanted Agent Smith to have a not normal but not robotic speech pattern. And he right. found that the Wachowskis had a very odd <laughs> pattern. And he copied them. Um, awesome. I'm sorry, back to the, the, the three scenes that scared the... Uh, the oh, good. Day. We're going to so. go back to my trauma. Okay. So, the um, the first one was... When Agent Smith is interviewing Neo, and he says, well, what if you were unable to speak? What good is a phone call if you're unable to speak? There's the full sentence. I'm sorry. I only wrote half of the quote. You're absolutely right. And I remember even then thinking that this special effect was a little odd, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think it was like spot on amazing. But because of the way they filmed it, it was utterly terrifying. Yes. Second, and I knew this was happening in that same scene. The bug, oh, yep. the okay. bug going the bug. into his stomach. And I wrote, are you ready for to see what, what I wrote? Okay, yeah. this, is, this is how I'm going to get the, uh, I have to mark the mature rating for this. Um, weird bug in stomach, still fucked up. <laughs> You're not wrong. And then he's in the car, take off your shirt. Oh, the, the removal of the same bug. The removal, the debugging. Yes. I wrote debug even worse. Worse. <laughs> because there was goo and there was just gross. And it that, was... That, that was the bit. It, was the, it wasn't just, oh, we've pulled the bug out. It's that, oh, here's this red glop that came with it. It's like, oh, geez, really? <laughs> exactly. And you know what? I thought, oh, the special effects in this is going to look terrible. It doesn't. It looks amazing. Oh, looks it great. looks terrifying and amazing, and it'll haunt my <laughs> dreams forever. I loved how the place looked. Especially during that time period. It, it reminded me of, like, Gotham. It okay, was yes. very yeah, dark. It was very rainy. I found myself noticing this, again, not 20 year, 22 years ago, but definitely now. Why does everything look this way? Why does everything look so run down? Later, yes. I found out that was a choice. Because they wanted the Matrix, which is not the real world, to sort of look a little rough around the edges. Yeah. Let's talk about the pods for a second. Let, let's let's chat about. Let's go. Pods. Let's go. Let's go with some more trauma. The pods. The pods. Okay. <laughs> the pods where the humans are laying in their in fluid, 
Yep. 22 years later, those pods are still absolutely terrifying to me. And when the, the, um, the, oh, the, all the, the connections start popping. All the or? connections start popping off of Neo when yeah. he wakes up. Horrifying, painful looking. Yes. And once again, if I didn't mention it before, horrifying. <laughs> and you know what's interesting? He actually purposely lost like 15 pounds so he would look emaciated. I was trying to figure out the, the passage of time that occurred between his ejection from the pod mm -hmm. and him actually getting up and, and walking around the, uh, the ship. There's no like clear indication of how long recuperation takes. Mm. I was trying to judge it based on the growth of his hair, because he was bald <laughs> in the pod, but when he's finally up and around, he does have a, a little bit coming in on the top. And a, So I'm, I still don't have a solid number, but uh, quick question for you. In terms of the sequels being made, do yes. you know if the Wachowskis had a, a, th a three movie arc planned and this was the first or was it a oh this one did really well let's continue the story and the reason that i ask that is that there were again now having seen all of the movies and going back and re-watching this there were a lot of details that are just sort of thrown out in this first movie yes that then get expanded upon in the other two I was trying to figure out if, you know, was that actually really good foreshadowing or was that not a fluke, but was it a, a more circumstantial that, oh, yeah, we're, we're going to do two more movies. So now we can expand upon this idea that we proposed. So I have multiple answers to that because I looked this up as well, because I had the same question. Was this a planned three part series or not? Supposedly, according to like Joel Silver, who's the producer, they said, oh, we always plan to make three movies. But nobody believes yeah. producers in Hollywood. No. <laughs> what I will say is that they worked on the script for this film for five and a half years. What has come out, what I've been able to read, sounds like they figured out the whole plot, kind of in a Harry Potter sort of way, like where she wrote okay. the last chapter. Right. Yeah. They figured out the entire plot of this thing. But I think what happened was it changed. Because back then, in 1999, you couldn't sell a three movie, right? No. Okay. You can sell yeah. it now, right? You can sell a trilogy. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. You can sell a trilogy now. But back then, studios didn't buy trilogies. Here's what I think happened based on what I, the limited information that I have from <laughs> the definitely never flawed internet. <laughs> they wrote the whole story beginning to end. They wrote different versions of the first draft, mm -hmm. first film. I think the evolution of Neo probably happened throughout a longer period of time. Okay. But when they got the movie, they made him the one sooner. I read something on like Reddit or something. Somebody who, you know, at some point there was access to different drafts of The Matrix. Okay. And yes. there was a draft where they showed that Neo didn't know he was the one in the first movie. Like he almost discovered it later. He somehow survived the shooting and then ran off, but didn't really recognize that he was the one. Now, as somebody who dabbles, you'd think, oh my God, yes, if I was rewriting a movie and I had one shot to do this, that would make him the one, this movie, because I don't know if I'll ever get another movie again. That makes right? sense, yes. And again, this is their second, this is their second directing credit, and they're getting a lot of money, they have stars, they have one shot, right? If they get it wrong... It's over. Um, so I think they did. I think they had the whole story laid out. And I think what they did was they, they threw a lot of stuff at the first one. Mm -hmm. And then they added 
to the other ones. Sort of a, let's let's tell a complete story from start to end here, and then if we have the opportunity, we can go back and uh, sort of expand upon some of the stuff we've mentioned. Clearly, Warner Brothers was not totally sold on this high art concept action sci-fi movie. So one of the things that they did was they paid these graphic artists, these comic book artists, to storyboard the entire film. It was like 600 pages. And they showed it to Warner Brothers. This is what we're trying to create. So the, the Wachowskis are very smart. They knew that they were the underdogs, but... They knew how to make it work. Now, the Wachowskis are, are from, like, they started in comic books. They wrote for Marvel before this. Oh, okay. Which is interesting because fast forward, The Matrix is considered one of the films that actually inspired the kind of superhero renaissance. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that too now that I've read it. Um, I kind of, <laughs> but no, I mean, like, I didn't, I didn't, I never thought about it, right? But then, like, in retrospect, I'm like, that makes total sense. During the production of the film, they actually created a comic book. That was posted on the Matrix website that you could get for free. Wow. I I had, f- obviously, I'd forgotten about that particular component. But now that you've said it, I want to say I went and read that back in the day. So anyway, let's go back to kind of like the, the base of it. So they yes. decide to make this movie. They studied John Woo films like we talked about Hong Kong action films. There was kind of a reading list requirement for the actors in the film. Okay. Similara and Simulation, a philosophical treatise examining the relationships between reality, symbols, and society by French philosopher Jean Baudrillard. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that the book that Neo uh, has on his bookcase and he opens it up and that's where he's got all of the hidden discs that he's selling to people at his front door? Oh, I'm going to be so annoyed that I didn't look that up. That might be true. I'm not sure. I, I didn't. This was one of the moments that I did not go back and pause, I'm afraid. But I, I remember seeing the, the book. And I, I want to say that might be it because it was some long and complicated title that he had hollowed out. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, this was the Bukowskis. They also wanted mm-hmm. them to read Out of Control, The New Biology of Machines, Societal Systems and the Economic World by Kevin Kelly, and Evolutionary Psychology Ideas by Dylan Evan. So they really wanted everybody to get into their heads about yeah. what this was about. They hired martial arts choreographer Yuan Wu Ping. This is a famous Chinese director and action choreographer. He did the fights for Lethal Weapon 4. He did the fights for Kill Bill and Kill Bill 2. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. Very good. And, of course, a bunch of other Chinese films that I don't know. He directed and choreographed Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Oh, beautiful. Okay. He's also well known for using wire foo, mm-hmm. which is the wire work that we saw in the film, which is a combination of kung fu and wire work. Apparently, his immediate problem with the cast was the lack of fitness in the actors. <laughs> yeah. I, I could see that. Yeah. Right? Like, he's like, ah, <laughs> what are we going to, what am I going to do with this? Here's a fun fact Keanu. Uh, before filming, had a two-level fusion of his cervical spine Oof. due to a spinal cord compression from a herniated disc. In spite of this, and this will not surprise you if you've ever read anything about Keanu Reeves, he wanted to train. He wanted to train hard. They made yeah. the entire team of actors train for four months before filming. They all trained in martial arts. Keanu was in. He wanted to train, train, train. 
Unfortunately, he could not really do kicks for the first two months of the four-month training. He wasn't allowed to do kicks because of his, you know, recent fusion. Okay. Which is why Neo doesn't actually have a lot of kicks. That's one of those things that I did not notice at the time while watching, but now that you have said it and thinking back, it's like, yeah, he, he's mostly arm work, isn't he? Correct. And he oh. didn't, I mean, he wanted to train even though he was supposed to be restricted. And the, uh, the choreographer was like, okay, fine, here, you can do hand stuff. <laughs> um, but this is, if anybody, if, again, if you've ever read anything about Keanu and his stunt work, he yeah, trains. It's par for the course. Yeah. He trains, you know, you look at the Matrix films, the movies he's done after, all the way into John Wick. As I say, I've seen some of the behind-the-scenes footage for John Wick and his firearms training, which is impressive, doesn't begin to cut it. I have to add, you know, this is one of those moments where I just have to jump in and say, can we just take a moment to talk about some of the other, like, the actors were great, the directing was great, the storytelling was great, the special effects were great. But let's talk about sound. Dane A. Davis um, was the sound editor and helped create some of the sound effects, sound design. Don Davis was the, I don't know if they're related or not, I couldn't find that, is the composer. This atonal avant-garde style of composition for the music. Bill Pope, also known as William Pope, did the cinematography. He's done a couple of films that you might have heard of. Army of Darkness. He did okay. Bound. Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Oh, wow. <laughs> yep. Baby Driver. And nice. um, most recently, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Oh, very good. Kim Barrett did costume design. Not only did she have to create very interesting costumes, she had to create costumes that the actors could do martial arts in. She had to create costumes that the actress could hang upside down in and also work with wires strapped to harnesses in. So, like, everything had to be taken into consideration um, to create this, the costumes for this movie. And we kind of talked about this a little bit, bullet time. Yes. Bullet time allows a shot to progress in slow motion while the camera appears to move through the scene at a normal speed. It had never been done. To the point that when you look back at that scene, the great bullet time scene on the rooftop, they shot it like a hundred different ways just in case the bullet time didn't work didn't because work. they weren't a hundred percent sure that it would freaking work because nobody had ever done that before. It was combining an old style of like using photography, still photography and video and just combining the yeah. two and they, they just didn't know. This film was trying to do a lot and granted... I would just jump ahead to the ending, which is that it had a budget eventually of $63 million. Mm -hmm. Do you know how much this movie made total? Uh, it's, it's close to $500 million, I think. $466.3 million. There you go. It started earning records for the most DVD of a, of a movie sold ever. Oh, okay. Like, it kept breaking records. Like, this yeah. is the first movie that has gotten a million purchases. Wait, two million. Wait, two three million. million. Three. Oh. It, it sold 30 million DVDs. Awesome. William Gibson, famous writer. This is a shout out to Craig Snodgrass and his wonderful art, who was a uh, podcast guest here, and whose robots and artwork were recently in Invasion, the current series on Apple TV. William Gibson referred to this uh, this film as an innocent delight I hadn't felt in a long time. Neo is my favorite ever science fiction hero. Absolutely. It was nominated for four Academy Awards. And do you know how many it won? Four. Oh, excellent. Yeah. 
It was nominated for Best Film Editing, Zach Steinberg, um, Best Sound, John Wrights, Greg Rudloff, David Campbell, David Lee, Best Sound Effects Editing, that goes to Dane A. Davis, Best Visual Effects, John Gaeta, Jay McSears, Steve Portley, and Joe Thurm. It was nominated for a bunch of other awards, but predominantly it was nominated for its special effects and its sound. I remember, this is a weird fact, I didn't read this, I remember this just myself. Keanu Reeves was at the Academy Awards that year, and he was on the red carpet, and somebody said, why are you here? Like, the movie isn't nominated for any acting awards whatsoever. And he said, I'm here to support the team. Which, again, if you've read anything about Keanu, that's, that's him, that's what he does. He got dressed up, and he went to the Academy Awards, and he sat, and he, and he applauded loudly when they won. That's awesome. I wrote down what I consider... Possibly the top three scenes in this movie. The top three scenes? Yeah. Oh. Here's my three scenes, and you tell me if I'm wrong or not, in your opinion. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. The lobby scene, where Trinity and Leah and, and Neo, not Leo, that's a different, that's DiCaprio, um, where Trinity and Neo walk into the lobby with the guns, and they have the entire fight scene. That scene took 10 days to shoot, by the way. I believe that. Yeah. yeah. Second, the okay. rooftop scene. Yes. The bullet time scene, one of the most iconic moments, right? And lastly, the subway scene uh, with the fight with Agent Smith. You know, when we get the great, you know, one of the top cinematic moments, which is Neo stopping the bullets. Uh, If I was nitpicking your list, I was going to perhaps drop the subway fight and put in the, um, uh, what I would call the awakening scene, where where he becomes the one, stops the bullets... Uh, fight Smith and does uh, this made me smile 22 years ago it made me smile again last night where he's fighting Smith and then he turns to the side and just fights him with one arm because he can do that now (laughs) I love that I remember that too there was this calmness and stillness to him he is no longer frightened because this is not real right the spoon is not real he now understands oh no I am in control yeah. Of the world at this point. I, I, I don't have to worry about you. I don't have to worry about the rules. We're doing things on my terms now. The phone booth moment. He calls and has this conversation with essentially the Matrix and then steps out of a phone booth and flies the fuck away. Way. <laughs> Which I still remember 22 years ago being, oh my God, he can fly? Because and now looking at it, I like it. It processes it even makes better. Perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. It, I am in control of this fake universe, so I can do anything. Yep. Anything in this universe, and it was kind of mind blowing. And also, I do have to say that there had to be a Superman reference there. He walked out of a phone booth and yeah, flew and up into the off. air. Yeah. yeah, which I did not catch twenty two years ago, but I definitely catch this time around. I'm like, that is a Superman reference if there ever was one. Oh yes, yeah, had to have been. We're going to hit a different section of this review, which I'm going to call Once Upon a Casting. Ooh, okay. Steven, do you know who was originally offered the role of Neo in this film? Oh. There were several, but there was one who was the main person who was offered this role. Now, again, you have to understand when you're thinking about casting, folks, This was a sort of big budget movie with unknown directors, high concept, big ideas, special effects ideas that they didn't even know that they could do. So as an actor, you were like, ooh, like, I don't know. 
Who was the first person who was offered this was, role? Was this someone who they offered it to and who had that reaction? It's like, oh, I, I don't recognize your name, so maybe maybe I'll pass on this one, thanks. Sure. Yes, a bit. Yes, that's correct. Ah, uh, all right. And did another famous movie that year. Did another famous movie. But it was year. not a good movie. It was not a good movie. Oh, it wasn't Will Smith, was it? It was. Oh, my God. <laughs> Will Smith turned down The Matrix to do Wild Wild West. Which, listeners, I, I have to admit, I kind of like Wild Wild West. I, I recognize it's not a cinematic masterpiece, but it, I, I found it kind of fun. Listen, I went to go see Wild Wild West in the theater. It had Will Smith, who I loved. It had Kevin Klein, who I loved. And Salma Hayek, who I also loved. Kenneth Branagh. Oh, right. That, that British guy. Yeah. yeah. Kenneth Branagh was in it as well. And um, I also went to the theater and paid good money to see that film. And I walked out with some level of regret. <laughs> Maybe it was the part with Kenneth Branagh, you know, the royal Shakespearean actor, you know, was part spider. Um, maybe then, I don't know, or maybe before that. Uh, but anyway, point is, it was not a well-received film. Will Smith has actually spoken about this casting choice. And he has said, I was not in a mature enough state to have done this film. Like, I think okay. if I had done it, I would have totally messed it up. Like, I don't think he said, he said, I don't think I would have understood it. I just don't think I would have done a good job. So, when, um... Will Smith was out of the picture. Who did they bring in? They offered it to Brad Pitt. Okay, yeah. They offered it to Val Kilmer. Okay. Tom Cruise on this list? There is mention of Tom Cruise in some things, but nothing specific. Nothing solid. Okay. No. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio actually accepted the role and huh. then turned it down because he had just done Titanic, which is a very heavy visual um, yeah. special effects film. And he said he didn't want to do another one back to back. Okay. So he turned it down. Um, the studio wanted Keanu. Now, at this point, you have to think, Keanu has made over 20 film credits, right? And mm -hmm. some really good ones, right? By this point, hang on, to the notes. By this point, <laughs> he has done Bill and Ted's. He has done Bram Stoker's Dracula. He has done I Love You to Death. Much Ado About Nothing. Shout out to my wife. He has done Point Break. He has done Speed, Johnny Mnemonic. Chain Reaction, and The Devil's Advocate. Wow. He's a movie star, yes. right? Yeah. So the studio was like, yeah, we really want a hot movie star guy. The Wachowskis wanted Johnny Depp. Oh, wow. Yeah, take that I, in for a second. I, I, yeah. Not because of him personally, but just, you know, the, the acting choices that I'm envisioning in my head. I, I don't think we'd be having this conversation if he had played Neo. <laughs> I don't think so either. Here's a fun thing. Sandra Bullock was sent the script okay. because there was a conversation of, could we make Neo a woman? Oh, okay. I actually think Sandra Bullock would have been great in this film. She could have been yes. really awesome. Yeah, I could see that. Who was offered the role of Trinity first? Okay, so who was offered Trinity first? Couldn't do it because of schedule conflicts and wished she could have done it because she thought okay. the, the whole thing was great. Scheduling conflicts but would have accepted. I will give you a hint. She is not a Hollywood actress. She is... N oh. Oh. Oh, dear. 
Janet Jackson. Really? Really. She was approached to do the film. She thought it was really cool. She really wanted to do it, but her schedule just would not allow it. Huh. This movie led to two other sequels. The Matrix Reloaded, which somehow made more money than the first one by like 300 million more. The Matrix Reloaded made $739 million. Wow. It came out in 2003, in May of 2003. Okay. In November of 2003, The Matrix Revolutions came out. It made a bunch of million dollars, but not as many as 700. So not as much as the second one, right? No. The second one was, for some reason, was more profitable. Yep. And the third one was just criticized a lot. From what I remember, in my opinion, it does what a sequel needs to do in that it took the world that was sort of laid out in the first movie and built upon it and improved it and expanded upon it. Okay. And for the majority of the movie, it was really really good um the highway scene in particular is one of the most butt clenching sequences you will (laughs) ever watch uh, especially if you got to see it on the big screen and everything was larger than life they made a trilogy and at the end of it neo died yep Yep. and he said it he was asked on the graham norton show so what's up with this fourth movie and he said well Lana Wachowski called me and said, hey, do you want to be in a new Matrix movie? And he said, I would love that, but he died. (laughs) And Lana said, what if he didn't? And he was like, all right. (laughs) So here's the kind of weird backstory. So it took them five and a half years to write the script. And then ever since, of course, the trilogy came out, Warner Brothers has been like, can we make another Matrix movie? Can we make another Matrix movie? Like, for years, can we make another Matrix movie? And they're like, no, 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 that story's done. They're like, come on now, we want to make another Matrix movie. So here's what happened. Lana has stated this. Lana Wachowski. Mm -hmm. Both of her parents died around the exact same time that a friend, a close friend, passed away. This was all in 2019. She said, I couldn't process the grief. And then one sleepless night... I came up with a story for another Matrix movie. She said, I felt that while I couldn't get my parents back, I could get Trinity and Neo back. And that was comforting to her. And so she wrote this story about, you know, continuing the love story that she felt they had. That's how she dealt with her grief. Lily Wachowski, not how she dealt with her grief. (laughs) In fact, she said that she was working on a show, I think, for Showtime or one of the other networks. And after that, she was like, I'm gonna, I need to step away from the industry for a while. This is what I do. Um, I need to process my parents' passing. She gave a blessing to the creation of the next Matrix film. She just, okay. she can't put her heart in it. No, um, that she's makes like, sense. Yeah, she's like, clearly this is how Lana is grieving, right? How she's processing her grief. And Lily's like, go for it. I'm, I'm good, but you go ahead. I'm sure you'll write something cool. And so... That is what they have done. Um, so, uh, for those of you who are very interested in The Matrix, December 22nd, this year, this month, you can go watch the fourth installment of The Matrix. So now we get to what we I would like to call, in conclusion. Stephen, <laughs> in conclusion, what is your thought on The Matrix then and now? 
So having rewatched The Matrix for the first time in over 15 years, and having approached it with a bit of trepidation, given just how amazingly mind-blowing it was the first time I watched it 23 years ago, I've got to say that it is just as good now as it was then. It is definitely worth a rewatch if you've seen it before. Uh, if you have not seen it, I encourage you to go out um, and see it. Um, or not go out, stay in, stay in and see it, given current events. Uh, <clears throat> but no, it is uh, an absolutely amazing film. I uh, cannot recommend it. Um, you know, one of my highest recommendations, I would say, if you want to partake. Thank you so much, Stephen. Thank you so much oh, for doing this with me again. You um, are quite welcome. And thank you, listeners, for listening to our however long episode on us two adult men gushing over a movie Keanu made 22 years ago. And, uh, and Keanu, thank you. Thank you for being uh, Keanu and for making cool movies. And, uh, I mean, we won't talk about much ado about nothing because uh, that was not your best. That's a shout out to my wife. But to be fair, Denzel Washington didn't belong in that movie either. So I don't know what the heck they were thinking. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Um, I hope to see you next time.